Welcome to Dungeon Talk. Higher level learning for your tabletop game. And now, here's Evan and Michael. Hey, what's up? This is Dungeon Talk episode 17. 17. (laughs) On today's episode, our table topics are going to cover changing your presentation based on the player's perceptions. Uh, Later, we're going to talk about trying to bridge the gap between the player's perspective and the DM's perspective, which I think those are two really good topics that we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, Our mailbag this week is going to be barriers to being a DM. So reasons why people would or wouldn't want to be a DM. Sometimes when you have a group, everybody wants to be a player, but nobody wants to be a DM. So we're going to kind of talk about that and then hopefully if we have enough time we're going to try a new idea where we're going to give you a campaign idea or campaign topic or an encounter idea based on opening a pack of magic the gathering cards and we're going to use those cards to michael and i each have a pack and we're going to try and come up with our own encounter idea or idea idea or campaign (laughs) idea (laughs) so all right so we'll start with the uh, first table topic which is changing your presentation Based on the player's perceptions. So you started to say right before this, we were talking about what we were going to cover. And you started to say that in your game, the one we're playing right now, you sit around and think about the game all the time. Whether you're at work or driving in your car. That's that's actually number two. (laughs) No, that's changing the presentation based on the player's perceptions. That's number one. Well, in my mind, they're separate because the idea I have for the second one is... I know where this is going. (laughs) Okay. I I have a train of thought in my head. You didn't let me wrap it up. I got to go full circle (laughs) and get back around to the topic. I'll be here. You let me know when you're done. Yeah, you're you're not talking yet. Okay. So you sit around and think about the game all the time, and you have this... Investment. Investment. It, maybe that is the that, second. That is the second topic. Okay, so you go ahead. You go ahead and say how you were going to bring up changing your presentation based on the player's okay. perceptions. So for table topic number one, what I wanted to talk about was if if you've been listening to our Made Men podcast, I run a very sort of slow, drawn out game, and that's the type of game I like, and I'm all for that. And there's been these mysteries that have been built in to the backgrounds, to the whole world that you're playing in, and then specifically what your characters are doing. And just recently, you got to the point where one or two of those mysteries kind of were finally revealed. And then along with that, like two episodes later, like they're all out on the table now. I went from going 10, excuse me, 10 sessions before you figure out one thing to figuring out almost everything in two sessions. And the reason that I did that is as I was sort of doling out these answers or the, the mysteries were becoming more and more clear... I was not getting the reaction at the table that I was anticipating or wanting. And I basically realized that you guys weren't enjoying figuring out these mysteries as much as I was presenting them. And they're still important to the world because there are things that you guys need to question to get what's going on in the world. Uh, But uh, one one of the examples is early on in the campaign, I think it's like the third session, you guys found these bodies that had these strange symbols carved into them. We're not even paying attention to that anymore. Right. Yeah. You guys basically had forgotten about it because it had been so long. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. I mean, in, in game terms, it has only been two weeks. In reality, it's been months and months and months, mm-hmm. you know, like eight or nine months since that happened. 
So later on, when we introduced Travis's character, Quarian, who is an elf from the time before the, the Giss invaders attacked, who can read magic, none of you put together, hey, we should have him look at these symbols. Maybe he knows what they mean. So, you know, about halfway through the session, I'm like, okay, they're not thinking that. They're not thinking that. So I created a situation where I made it obvious, look, this character can read magic. And then still no one thought about showing him the papers. I can tell you, I can give you a comment comment on that real quick. Sure. Which is just, um, as we're going through the story, we are focusing on what the main objective is right now. And the only clues that we're holding on to are the ones that we feel like are going to help us figure out that main objective that we're working on right now. And I feel like in your games, you have so much detail you have a big world where lots of different things are going on and like you even said before you'll have us going down one road and then you'll throw in something else and we'll be like oh now we got to change to do this and then before we finish that you'll throw in something else and we got to change to do this and i and that um little detail or that clue has become irrelevant to what we feel like we're working on now. Like we feel like we're working on something else. We feel like we're somewhere else in the story. And there's been so many of, of these details thrown at us. Like maybe you should pay attention to this. Maybe you should pay. Who's this floating guy? You know, what's he doing? Why is the gist dagger working on these things? Um, on, and the gist artifacts. Why is the tower? I'm still thinking about the tower appearing and disappearing. Um, the guy that, uh, Nico killed like does he uh, have the Sal does he have some importance that we didn't know about the the markings on everybody's chest Alicia and the silent sisters and the device that make like there's so many things right. that we don't know how to pick out what we should be focusing on to get us to this objective that we're working on right now right or which objective so, we should be working on and, and i think a big part of that is the time that that spread in, in real term in real life the time between when that was important and now um and, True. Th- th- and this will go into the se- second table topic but for me because i do constantly think about my game my prep isn't Oh, no, no, no. That's the second topic. (laughs) Okay. Don't mention that. So so I just want to make sure that you guys are keeping up with it. So I think what happened is I realized that some of these mysteries weren't as important to you as they were important to me. But to keep the story moving along, because it's definitely sped up, that I kind of just started spoon feeding some of these mysteries to you. So, for example, when no one realized... We should show Corey in these these uh, symbols. Or when I specifically said he can read magic, and you still didn't think about it, I sort of created the situation. I don't even remember how I did it now, but I, I basically said, "Hey, Omi, don't you have something to show Corey?" And essentially, they're like, "Oh yeah, we have these these uh, copies that we we wrote down of all these symbols." And then Corian was able to tell you, yeah, that's actually a spell to open up a portal yeah. to let demons come into our world. I don't think there's anything abnormal with that. I think that that spoon feeding, the DM kind of spoon feeding you um, part of the story because the players haven't realized it. What campaign has that not happened? Oh, in? I'm sure it happens all the time. But in my head, I just felt it would be more rewarding for you guys is if someone would have you, done that. The aha moment. That, that, oh, wait, yeah, we have these, remember? I just think that for a DM, I would have been like, so proud like a proud papa like they put it together and instead i had to be like no son this is how you do you know i had to like give you the answer and i feel like that just kind of takes away from some of the enjoyment you guys would have had but at the same time i realized that it it wasn't as important to you as it was important to me so 
very quickly, I'll let you know that that spell was to bring demons into the world. And then, as, as we said before the podcast started, when you guys got back to the city, I told you right off the bat there was something odd about it. It didn't feel right. There was actually some geographical differences that, that were noticeable and that some of the people were reacting differently. And then in that same session, I basically let you know in game terms that some of these people have been possessed by what we're calling demons. And since you just learned out the session before that these spells will let demons into the world, I basically just told you the spell has already worked. There are demons now in the world and they have possessed people where normally in my game, that probably would have been like 10 sessions where I kept slowly feeding out that certain people are different and certain people are acting differently and they know things they shouldn't know. Or eventually you might've killed one of the people that were possessed. And then when their bodies reacted, because the, the possessed bodies died differently, that you would be like, okay, that's weird. What did that mean? But by the time you killed one of them, you already knew that they were demons, I think, or, or they were so close together that it, the mystery really wasn't, it didn't kind of hang there, you know, uh, as a mystery. It was just sort of like, that's a weird question. Here's the, here's the weird answer. So we have kind of a, a two road approach right now where, um, as a DM, you can sit back and try to give small clues and hope that your party or your players are going to figure it out and put it together on their own. Right. The other is that, you're recognizing, or you're not even recognizing that maybe this is just your approach. You're planning on kind of giving a more upfront, spoon-fed details, like uh, if, like if the D, if you as the DM said, and you would recognize these symbols as being blank, instead of waiting for the player to go, do I recognize these symbols from anywhere? You kind of make those, you put those things out there for the players before they even bother to ask the right, right questions. So. I think that there's a good there's some good things and bad things with with each one. One and I'll start with the bad. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I don't necessarily like. Now in the, now the last game that we had was an exception, exception to the rule because we had the a, a cool moment where we had some really good role playing going on. We were arguing we were arguing over what everybody wanted to do, but um, it didn't. Uh, my character Zane uh, kind of had this a change of heart and this epiphany of how he felt about everybody in the group because of what happened in the last game. And I'll send you that email that you asked for. But normally, I feel like when you're slowly trying to give little details out there and you're putting all these different things. Our party gets into this thing where we're sitting around trying to figure things out for a long time. We're, we're sitting at the table talking about taking action, talking about what we're going to do, but we're not actually doing, doing anything, anything yet. We spend a lot of time planning and a little time doing because there's so much going on. We don't know what to do. We don't know what the right path is. And when we're playing in the games that like you, you and I are both – um, DMing or hosting where it's this open concept, we can do whatever we want. We can go see anybody in this town. We can go to, we can say we're leaving the city and we're going to walk east until we hit the edge of the earth or water or another city or whatever, or eaten by right. a monster. Yeah, well, uh, just quickly, when I brought Corey and Travis's character in, I specifically told him the name of two cities that he would remember on the far north side of the forest just in case you guys decided to go that way. <laughs> it's like, well, if they decide to say, screw it, we're just going to leave this all behind, I wanted him to be able to go, well, 
I know there's two cities north, you know, that are a long way, and now they're through a desert, but I had already put that in there that there was a chance you might just say, screw it to my whole campaign and go north. So, I, you know, I, I had that as a backup plan already. So I think a bad thing that can happen when you're just trying to give the subtle little details and you're not really force-feeding is that players can feel lost. They can feel like they don't have enough to go off of. They're not sure which road to go down. And you need to be able to recognize that and adjust, which is what you do. Right. When you see that they're not putting two and two together, you have to come up on the fly with a way to try and fit this other detail in that will make them go, oh, I get it now, without seem seeming like you're force-feeding it to them. On the good side... When you do have the aha moments, it's a lot more rewarding. Um, I can't think of any from your <laughs> game at the moment, but I'm sure that they're – I really am sure that they're there. And it's a lot more rewarding when you have that aha moment for right. yourself. When you figure it out. I mean, I think, again, going back to that whole writing thing where if you read a good book, whether it's a mystery or not, usually there's somewhere where you'll read a passage – and then, like, two or three chapters later, you'll be like, oh, that's what that meant. And you can flip back and go, okay, because the character did this instead of that, that now connects to this other thing that happens. And that's what I'm trying to do throughout my story is just leave these little breadcrumb clues that eventually you're going to go, oh, okay, that's where that came from. But it's also hard because we're playing and we're doing a book you can pick up every night. And the last time you looked at the book was 18 hours ago. And it's still fresh in your head where – you may be you may give us a clue in this week's game that pertains to a clue that happened two months ago right and it's kind of like you you can't really expect people to remember everything and you know that we're not doing the thing where we're writing everything down writing everybody's name down making details about well and that was one of the things i wanted to bring up is would that have been a better solution is to, to literally have like a little note card that i write clue number one symbols carved into bodies and physically give one person okay you're the holder of the clues or whatever and give them a card okay this is something that's important i'm I'm metagaming telling you this is important but it may not be important for a while because again a character in a book they're going to remember that like oh yeah i I put that scepter in my backpack a week ago and the symbol on the wall looks like the symbol on my scepter well what do you think because from my it's it's up to you as the dm because is that going to take anything away from it for you? I think it it would take some of the subtlety away because I don't always want you to know what would be important and what's not. And I would be kind of smashing that fourth wall and saying, okay, here is a clue. It's important. Please remember it. I don't know if it would be, I mean, you probably would have put it together because at some point you would have been flipping through the cards like, oh yeah, we do have these symbols we don't know how to read. Let's see the new guy. Maybe he knows how to read them. Because, you know, again, in a movie or a book, that's very Blues common. Clues. Like you have a situation. Well, handy, handy dandy notebook. <laughs> notebook. But, again, like in a movie or a book, you, you often have that where we can't solve this problem. And then as soon as a new person is added, like, oh, wait, maybe they now know how to. Yes, actually, I did spend two years studying the occult, and I do know how to read those symbols. It's, it's always the private eye. Who's observing people and he's got his little book and, you know, he's got news articles. And then nine-tenths of the way through the movie, he's at his desk back at his office and there's papers scattered everywhere. But there's, like, one paper that's covering up half of another paper. Half another one. He's like – And he goes – he takes his glass of whiskey and takes a big drink out of it. And then when he sets it back down, like, the paper moves. Or he spills some of it on it. And he's like, no! And he picks up that paper and then the one underneath and he goes – 
Oh my God! <laughs> right, or he's Ace, the killer, Ace Ventura, when his dog lays down and it puts the and hair. It puts on. the hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was like. But oh. yeah, so it's it's not the same. I mean, as much as we like to talk about D and D as being a you know it's a story, it's not the same as a movie that's two hours long and you're watching beginning and end. It's not the same as a book that you can always flip back. I think you could be overreaching a little bit if you're expecting your players to. Uh, if you're expecting your players to remember all these things right. over the course of months. Now, just not to cut you off, but real quick, we, we just aren't a group that wants to put the effort into keeping that clue book, mm-hmm. the handy-dandy notebook. We're just not a group that wants to put the effort into it. I don't know why, but I'm sure that there's probably other groups out there like that. Sure. Like when we started Nico's game that we didn't finish, he handed us a book at the beginning of it and said, here, I want you to take this book and when I want you to keep logs. Like a, like a, it was a physical like notebook that mm-hmm. he handed to you, and he wanted you to write like a yeah. character perspective I wrote one re- thing recap and after each session. Now it's in a drawer upstairs. Yeah. And nobody, we didn't use it. No, So... It could. It just depends on your group, and well, I think you want to the group to be a certain way, like to do do more of that, because then it'll make those little clues, those little you know things that you put out there. It'll help us remember, but we're just not right. willing to put well, in the. The other thing I wanted to say about that, one of my other thoughts was that maybe before the game because sometimes i send recaps like hey this is what happened last time or because you missed a session i sent a recap and then rob missed a session sent a recap previously so, on um, lost exactly but i don't want to make it specific like okay so you guys remember like three months ago when you found those bodies that had the symbols that's going to be important tonight mm-hmm. and then then you start the next session and then as soon as i bring up the guy that can read magic oh okay i bet that's what michael meant would that think, have been better or worse well, in the way I did it where I just did it for you guys? At least that way you still would have I think to put that, it together. I think that it would be great if you did uh, like a day or two before we play or even the day of, you send out an email and you go previously on Made Men and you run through one paragraph or two paragraphs and you're not putting any bullshit in there. Whatever you're putting in there is important. It's still up to us to link things together as they happen, but you're not putting any fluff in there. It's only meat. It's only clues and details that should be important. I think that that would right. be great, and I don't think that it would really be force-feeding either. Okay, because this we're getting to the point where we're slowly starting to transition into what will be Table Topic 2, so I think we'll kind of end it there. But at the end of the day, what I wanted to talk about was I had a very slow, methodical-paced game going, which is the kind of game I like. I enjoy it when you guys sit around the table for 20 minutes discussing what's going on because it, that helps create the world because you're you're sort of you know rebuilding, recreating it in front of me. We're like, well, I talked to this guy and he did this. We have this option, and as you discuss it, I think of things like, oh, that's that's a better idea than what I had. But I enjoy watching you guys figure things out. But I realized that you were not enjoying it as much as I was enjoying it, so I specifically changed where things that would normally have taken 10 games for you to learn, I, I can press down into two. So I guess besides some kind of crazy things that happened, do you think the last two games have been better or worse? Or have you even noticed a big difference in the last, which actually you missed the last, you, you played the most recent, you missed the one before. So out of that last game, did it feel different? Was it more fun? Cause there's a lot more fighting. Like 
did you notice a difference in how I was running it and that made a difference in how you were enjoying it? I've noticed a difference in the play testing, which doesn't pertain to your story in combat. Like my rogue's not kicking ass, but um, they've changed some of the stuff that goes with the rogue. But as far as your story, um, because I feel like the last game, especially, I I was pushing you a lot more. It wasn't as much sandbox. I pretty much said, okay, you need to go here. This happens. That pushes you here. And then I kept tr- trying to get you to certain things and see certain things. I feel like right now we're kind of into a corner where we can't do anything right. Like whatever, it seems like whatever we decide to do, you throw an obstacle at us. And it's very, and it's very, it's frustrating. Okay. And if the, um, if the thing wouldn't have happened at the end with Nico and wanting to attack the guy, um, I would have left that game the same as I probably left the game before it that I played in going, what are we doing? Like, what is this about? What are we supposed to be doing? I just don't know. Um, I still don't know what, like, you know, when you're reading a book or watching a movie at some point halfway through you go, okay, I can see where this is going to go. Like they have made, the objective clear to the main character, he's going to have to do this, this, and then go kill the bad guy. And it hasn't happened yet, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know that that's what has to happen. Okay. None of that has happened in the story yet. Right. Like I would argue that it has, but maybe it's not as clear as you would expect. And there was a moment where the, the four of you guys were talking about what you need to do, and one of you was exactly correct, and the other three were like, no, that's not right. So I was just like, huh, <laughs> don't really know how to fix that one either. So I'm working on that. So, I mean, there's all these different options about, do you fix the present? Do you fix the past? Does it even matter what we do here? Because blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So in that conversation, one of you guys was pretty much spot on to what I think you need to do to fix what's going on. But you're not going to tell me who no, it was. No, I'm not going to tell you who it was. But, but at least one of you is on the right track based off of what I think you should know. But there is one big thing, and that's where we're going to go in tabletop bit two. There's one, in my mind, really big thing that I'm thinking is obvious. Like, this is an obvious solution to a big problem, and none of you are seeing it. And so I'm concerned about, did I, I don't want to just hand it to you because it's a big thing for me, but I also don't want you all to die because you're basically you're fighting the mean bad guy when you probably shouldn't be yet. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, out, he's out of your league Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where yeah, we I know that. Yeah. Um, I couldn't convince <laughs> everyone else, everyone else, but yeah. So I, I just, I don't want to hand feed it to you, but again, in my mind, there's two or three clues that, that should be like, Oh, okay. We have a solution to this problem and no one's seen it. So that, we'll jump into that when we do the table topics too. Okay. So is there anything else you want to talk about as far as, you know, sort of noticing your characters and adjusting the game to fit what they want, not necessarily what you want to give them? Not other than that's, um, Something that, if you're a DM, you should take away is that perceive what your players' mindsets are and change your game accordingly. If you can't, like, in your game, it just wouldn't work if you didn't try to push us in one direction or the other. Because if we're not on the right path and we're, you can't just say, well, this is my story. Eventually, you have to go to this city and meet this person. If that's not in any of our heads, and we've picked this other goal, we're going to be going down this road of 
doing other stuff if you just let us um, forever. You have to realize what's in your players' heads, where they want to go, and is that right? If it's not right, you don't say, I'm not going to let you do that, or you don't say, that's not what you should do. But you have to find a way to steer them to what's going to progress right. the story. And, and I agree with that, but I would also say that there's a, there's a give and take. Because as a DM, I have to enjoy the game too. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't do it, you know, enjoy it if I run it a certain way, but I enjoy it more the way I run it. So I just need to kind of find sort of a middle ground where I'm still telling a story that's very lush and vibrant and it's detailed and it's complex, but it's not quite as open sandboxy as what we're doing now so that you guys always feel like because i even mentioned to you about your game because i was feeling frustrated that it was too open that we didn't know what to do and, and what i had said to you which i guess i need to kind of adopt is not it's not that you can do anything it's that you have choices of what to do like here's the next four things that you probably you need to pick one of them so it's still you're not you don't lay it out exactly that way mm-hmm. here's your four choices mm-hmm. but you set up the game where okay we either need to talk to this guy go here, do this, or kill this guy. Those are our four options. Which one do we want to do next? And then I create the game based on your direction rather than going, you can do anything yeah. that you want. I, I would open a pottery shop. I've <laughs> done that a couple times when I was DMing where I'll sit and let you guys talk for five or ten minutes. And then as the DM, I'll interject and I'll go, so what I'm hearing is that you want to do this, you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about this. And it kind of... When you're caught up in the moment as the players arguing back and forth and and talking to each other about what you think and what you think is the right thing to do, you get lost. And it's it's have it's like having the mediator there. You can as the DM, you're not railroading, you're not force feeding clues. You can just kind of be a mediator and go, "All right, this is what I'm hearing. You think that this person is bad, you think that this person is good, and you think that Maybe if I go, if we go talk to this person, we'll be able to figure out which one is the bad guy. So what do you guys think you should do? Right. And it just clear, it clears the air a little bit. Okay. Well, I will try to take that into consideration. Assuming you don't all die as soon as we start my game back. Very possible. (laughs) Very, very possible. Mm -hmm. All All right. right. Mailbag. (gasps) Message for you, sir. All right. So this question comes to us from Joe. Uh, Joe sent us an email through podcast and he sort of introduced me to the concept of Roll20.net, which I've never done before, which is a virtual tabletop um, system, I guess. Uh, so I did play around with it the last couple of days and I'm actually very pleasantly surprised with how robust and, and how, how easy it was to use. But at the same time, I don't know that it fits my personal DM style where we don't really use maps, we don't really use minis. And that's kind of what it is. It's a way for you to add maps, add tokens. You can even add background music, and basically everybody logs on, and you can literally move your token virtually on this table topic or tabletop, and then like the monster can appear because it's on a different level. Like, okay, you walked into an ambush. Now there's ten orcs around you. Then there's can be like music jumps in where everybody can hear, and it's like this sort of tribal music. It really sets the tone of, of what's going on or sets the mood, and you know, you even even has dice rolling capabilities, that kind of thing. So I haven't used it yet. I'm kind of interested maybe testing it out to see how it works. But his question in general is, what are some of the barriers to people becoming DMs? And then specifically within using a virtual tabletop, whether it's Roll20 or another, 
and not wanting to DM in those places. So we'll start with the generals. So since you did that, you went from a player to a DM. What were some of the things that made you hesitant or made you, maybe made you wait longer than you should have or made you wait as long as you did? Like what was keeping you from wanting to be a DM earlier, I guess is how I'd word it. Well, of course, um, if you would have said, like, of course, when if you said, hey, do you want, I play D&D, do you want to come and check it out? I wouldn't say, sure, can I DM? Because I don't know what, I don't know how to run the system yet. So in the beginning, um, the reason why I didn't want to DM is because I was afraid of making mistakes. I didn't want to be the person that's sitting around trying to, trying to provide the story, but I don't know how the game operates 100% yet. And I still don't know how the game operates 100%. But I have two veteran players who can rattle off most of the answers off the top of their head so it doesn't make a big difference and i should sit down and actually read through everything so that i know what i'm doing better but with you there why do i need to <laughs> right <laughs> you make it so easy um yeah you have that crutch under my leg that hasn't been kicked out yet right so in the beginning maybe you have a group of new players maybe you have a group of players that aren't that seasoned aren't that veteran right and and i think that's kind of what he's getting at in, in general terms that you got a bunch of people who don't really know the hobby but it sounds interesting maybe they saw it on the tabletop show with will wheaton or maybe they they're they're near a convention whatever someone's like hey have you ever played D? no sounds interesting okay let's get together and you got five guys a couple maybe a couple girls sit yeah. in the basement you're like okay now what well, one of us has to DM. Well, I don't want to do it. And like, so no one is an experienced player or DM. And if you're not experienced and you choose to be the DM, then you're going to be the guy who, if you don't make the right call, people might be upset with you. They might not like what you're doing. And you don't want to be that guy yet, you know, especially if you're in a new group. Right. So what I, there's three main things that I think are barriers, and you can jump in and, and kind of uh, give me your, your opinions. One is it's money. I think for some people that first barrier is is cost because generally, in my experience, the DM or GM is the one who spends the most money. They buy most of the books or all of the books because they have to have all the rules. They buy the maps. They buy the minis. That's true. I wasn't thinking of it in terms of the past editions where there's all these books out. I've been thinking. I was thinking it in D and D next terms where everything's free right now. Right. But in other editions or other systems, there's a lot of books that are out there. And, you know, most of them have the core thing, two or three books that you have to have. But still, if you get those in hardback, and particularly if you want to support your local game shops and you're paying full retail, it's easily 120 bucks to get started into the game for most of them. I know Pathfinder has a beginner's box. I think Edge of the Empire Star Wars has a beginner box now. But you're still looking at 40, 50 bucks, you know. There's probably people who want to play this game that are in grade school, that are in high school, that coming up with 40, 50 bucks for a hobby they may never play might be a barrier. So I think money is part of the issue. A couple things there I would I would uh, counter with is some of your public libraries actually carry role-playing books. Really? If they don't, you can sometimes ask that they start carrying them, and they will. And then there's always something called intra-library loan. I can Get tell out of here, freak! <laughs> I can tell you, because I used to work at a library, that if any, basically, if any library in the country carries a book, your, your library can request it, and they will send it to their library, and then you can check it out, and they send it back. It's called intra-library loan. So as long as any library in basically a four or five state radius carries a book you want, you should be able to get it sent into you for free. So use your public library to get the books. So you don't have to pay for them. 
If you go uh, the virtual tabletop, like Joe suggested, then you really don't have any cost for materials because they provide those for you on the internet as long as you have a computer and you have internet capabilities. Or borrow them. You know, if, if there is a couple people who have played for a while but they don't want to DM, they probably have some of the books or have some of the minis. Um, or even go to like your local game stores. They often have once a week they have free game day where you can try out games before you buy them, and they will let you borrow their stuff and use it while you're there. And then if you decide you you know play two or three sessions there and you like it, then maybe you make the investment into buying things. Go a ahead. couple things. Um, one is since we're talking about maybe new newer players. If your resource, if you don't have a seasoned person there and your resource is books, it depends on what kind of a person you are because I couldn't do that. I don't, when we first started playing D&D, you gave me the player's handbook and was like, here, read this, you'll learn how to play. I read a bunch of it and then in game, I still had no idea what I was doing. And I know how I learn. I learn hands-on. And I remember when I was in high school in algebra, you know, you would get, you would do, you would work on what you were working on for that day. And then at the end of the last 10 or five minutes of class, the teacher would go, this is what we're going to work on tomorrow. And so I want you to read chapter three and do these problems. And it's not something that you've done yet. It's new material, but he's expecting you to read the chapter, understand how to do it from the chapter, do it on your own at home. And then tomorrow when we come in, we're going to practice it and really work on it. I couldn't do that. Like, I would go home every night frustrated because I would read the chapter and I just couldn't take what the book was telling me to do. And I know that this is making me sound stupid, (laughs) but I just couldn't take what the book was telling me to do and apply it. I had too many questions. I was like, I just don't understand how this is supposed to work. And as far as the player's handbooks... It's kind of the same thing. I can read through a player's handbook, but if you gave me a week, it was like, here, and I was in a group that hadn't really played much before or hadn't played before. If you gave me a player's handbook and said, read through this, and then let's play this next week, I would come and be like, I, I'm sorry, I still don't know what to do. It takes somebody who already knows what they're doing to show me right. what to and do. That's one of the biggest barriers to getting into a role-playing game at all. And that's, you know, a lot of the discussions on Twitter and on the forums and message boards, uh, especially with D&D Next coming out, they're talking about, like, how can we really grow this hobby? And one of the barriers is that the manuals are 300 pages, and, and some of them, they have charts and formulas that look like algebra, and a lot of people don't necessarily want to spend the time reading that book because they don't get anything from it. So I think what they're moving to, uh, particularly with that, you know, Star Wars Edge of the Empire, the Pathfinder Beginner's Box, and others is that you buy this box and it has a streamlined version of the game. It has pre-generated characters and there's almost always a module or a sample adventure that comes with it. And it's kind of like the game that comes to mind for me is Spider-Man 2 uh, when I first started playing that on Xbox. Because as soon as you start, it's like, hey, you're Spider-Man. Jump to this building to that building. You do that by pressing A. And then you go and you jump the building. Good. This is how you swing. You hit this X button. Now swing from that point to that point. And within the first five minutes of the game, it basically tells you how to do all the basic stuff. You know how to swing, you know how to jump, you know how to fight. And those adventures are built the same way. It's a super pared-down adventure, but the fighter's going to get to fight somebody, the rogue's going to get to sneak or open a lock, the cleric's going to get to cast a spell, 
and with, so within 15, 20 minutes of this playing this little pared down adventure, everyone's got to do at least the thing that their character does best in the game. And I think that's kind of how they're fixing that barrier to entry. Specifically with D&D, or uh, DMing is kind of the same thing. You're expected to know more than everyone else. You're expected to know the rules better than everyone else. So what I would argue is that that's not actually true. Much like you said, you have Nico and I as a crutch. Even if it's five players who have never played before, you can say, okay, I'm going to be the DM, but you're going to be the rules lawyer. And you're going to have the books. And if there's a question, you research it. And you probably have one people, one person out of your four or five that would probably be good at that or would enjoy it. Someone else, you're the monster getter. If I need a monster, here's the box, you know, the tub of minis, you find the right one. Another person, you're going to track initiative. So when you're first starting, there's all these little things that you can delegate out. That's a good idea. And have other the, people participate. The DM is looked at to be the provider of everything. Right. The story, the rules, the monsters, the encounters. Um, the other thing that I was going to say was, since you and Nico are veteran players, what about groups that you've been in where you're always the DM and nobody else wants to do it? What do you think, what do you find the reasoning is in those groups where you've been playing for a while and nobody else just wants to be the DM? I've done that particularly early on because I was always the DM when we first started playing. And I've mentioned before, Brandon would play a lot. He'd run it like one game and then he would quit. I loved the game enough that I was willing to be the DM. I also enjoy being the DM. As even even when I play, I think I've told you, after three or four sessions, I usually start thinking, I want to DM again. So even though I like playing, I enjoy DMing more. So I'm just probably that, that You're odd. weird. I am weird. Um, so hopefully there's somebody in your group that's like that, that though they enjoy playing, at some point they are going to be like, you know, I have a story I want to tell and I'm willing to take the reins. So one of the other things I would say, the barrier, as we were talking about, would be the time commitment. So not only do you have to buy all the stuff if you're talking about for money, but you are expected to put more time and more effort into the game because you have to know the rules the, the best. you got to come up with an adventure. You have to uh, you know, think about what's going to go on, think about what happened, how you're going to change it. And for some people, they just don't want to put that time. They want to come in. They want to play three or four hours on a Tuesday night, and they don't want to think about it again until next week. Do you think that there's any fear of, uh, I'm just not going to be good? That's my third My third sort of barrier is no one wants to suck at something. That's just life. You don't want to do something that you're not good at. Mm-hmm. Very few people is like, I don't want to go and get in front of a whole bunch of people and give a presentation to like a board of directors at my company on a topic I know nothing about because I'm going to look terrible. And it's sort of, sort of the same thing. You just don't want to suck because particularly if, if you're trying to get the game together, like oh, I want to play D&D, come here, let's all play. And then you run a terrible session. They're all like, this sucks. That's a stupid game. And now you just lost the four or five people that you thought your group was So be. that kind of just comes down to you have to have a little bit of confidence in yourself. I think you have to have confidence. But the, th- the thing that I would say, and I know I've mentioned it before, I want to be a writer. So we'll get that joke out of the way. Hmm? Tell have, us have about I, that. Have I not mentioned that? But So well, the way I'll frame this is sometimes I'll read a book and like George R. R. Martin's The Song of Ice and Fire series, the Game of Thrones books, are like that where I read that book and it makes me depressed. I'm like, I will never write this good. Why do I even try? Because there's no way I'm ever going to be good at writing as this person. However, sometimes I'll read another book and go, how the fuck did this get published? This is terrible. This person got this published and, and I bought it? 
And DMing's kind of the same way. And I bought it? <laughs> yeah, and I bought this crap. So he has my money? DMing's kind of the same way. You know, if you go to a game and you have a DM who's really good, you may think, I, I can't do that. You know, I won't be able to run a game as efficiently as that person did. Or you may go to a session where I've had this before where I'm like, that DM's terrible. I can definitely do better than him or her. So why don't I run a game? That way I can at least be at my house and, and be comfortable. So the thing that's different about that than the books is if I were to just write down everything that George R. R. Martin wrote and then try to sell it, I would be plagiarism. Not so in DMing. I can go buy a module that someone else wrote and that's fine. Or particularly me, podcasts. You know, I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts now on DMing. Most of them are actual play. And I just, you guys are doing the stuff that I heard other people go through. You just don't know it. You, I'm stealing from people you've never heard of. So do that. Go find a podcast. I would suggest our own, but there are plenty others. And then basically just do what you hear them do. If they fight a monster, fight the same monster. If they go through a tunnel, have them go through the same tunnel. They're probably not listening to the same podcast. It doesn't matter that you're plagiarizing. I'm the exact same way with music in the sense that I have all this music recording stuff and I get ideas at, at any time of the day and sometimes I'll like do the voice recorder on my phone and I'll record a little melody or something I'm like I'm going to turn that into a song and then before I can get to recording it I listen to something else and I go nothing I'm ever going to do is going to be as good as this so why should I bother right but I am going to quote um an award-winning movie called Hustle and Flow. <laughs> it ain't easy being a pimp. <laughs> Which is, uh, everybody in the world has the right to contribute a verse. So it doesn't matter what, if you think that somebody else's thing is better than yours, um, that's not what it's about. Like, it's not about that this person did it better. It's just about getting your own story out because it's yours. Like, your music is your music. It's something that came from inside of you. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not something else, somebody else did is better. It has a connection to you. And if you can get it out, you'll feel good about it. Right. So at the end of the day, what I would tell you is there, there's an answer to every barrier. If you're willing to put in the time and effort and, and be the person that steps up and says, okay, I'll GM. But <laughs> For me, most of the time when I play... I should, I should have said, it's hard out here for a pimp. It's hard out here. That, <laughs> that was... Quote it, it's hard out here for a DM. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, is that usually I play with my friends. Whether I'm friends before or I become friends because of, generally when I play D&D my entire life has been with people I know and people that I want to hang out with anyways. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, because you can do stupid stuff in front of your friends all the time. That's part of being friends is you say something stupid, they make fun of you. Or you date the wrong girl, they make fun of you. That's just part of, you know, being friends with each other. So if you run a bad session, but they're your friends, they're going to be forgiving. They're going to say, dude, that, that kind of sucked. And then you fix it and you move on. In the virtual world where you don't have that luxury, where you're just saying, okay, I want to DM. And you could have 14 players from all over the world who've never met you come to your game and you don't do a good game, they're just going to say, okay, I'm, I'm, this isn't for me. That happens too. The group that we have now, which mostly is now people that I, I'm friends with, I met some of them through meetup.com. The uh, meetup, uh, not, not the... Sounds like a dating not site. Not the dating site. It's called meetup, and basically it's the Cincinnati Greater Role Playing Meetup. And I basically put a post, hey, I'm thinking about starting a game. Would you guys like to join? 
And I had several people that came in for one or two sessions and they're like, you know, this isn't the game I want. And they just never showed back up again. It happens. There's, you know, that that's part of it too. So if you're wanted to be a DM and you, you do a game and no one comes back the next week, oh, well, try a different game. You're going to learn. It's, DMing is a skill like anything else. You're going to get better at it the more you do it. So don't worry about the money. Borrow the books from a library. Don't worry about the time. Steal from other people. Mm-hmm. And then don't worry about being embarrassed because you're going to get embarrassed at some point over something. Why not be embarrassed in your basement with a bunch of fat people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because at least you're hey. stereotyping all the DL. <laughs> well, D&D I'm fat, parts. so I can say that. All right, so let's go on to our next topic, which is our campaign idea, brand new segment. Okay. So we're going to take a break. Michael and I are both going to open a pack of magic cards, and we're going to put together either a campaign idea or an encounter, and then we're going to come back and tell you about it. All right, sounds good. So welcome back to uh, what I'm kind of calling Synergy, which is the combination of D&D and Magic the Gathering. So Evan and I both opened our packs. We took about 10 minutes and kind of went through them and came up with uh, sort of an idea. For me, not surprising, I went big picture more than like an encounter or adventure. I went more of a, this could be like a long-term campaign situation. So the first cards that came to my, that came out to me, I have an Erase and a Naturalize. Oh, by the way, we're using uh, Core Set 2013 as the, as the cards. And both of these cards destroy or affect enchantments uh, or artifacts. And the Naturalize artwork actually shows some, sort of like a tomb being overgrown. So what I came up with is that there's some sort of kingdom or land, whatever, that has this protection where there's all these things that surround it, whether they be stones or towers or castles, whatever, and that as long as these are in place, that that, that their populace is protected, and one of them disappears, just is just gone, and they don't know what happened to it, and now there's monsters and bad things have gained access to their uh, otherwise protected kingdom. So, of course, they want to try to figure out what happened, so they call the, the heroes together and ask them to go investigate. They have to... Um, Higher, or there's like an NPC based on this uh, Monvuli Beast Tractor uh, creature, which is green. So there basically would be either one of the players would probably have to be a druid or a ranger, or they would hire this person as like an NPC guide. And when they got to the next one, they would see that it's being overgrown, much like this picture on Naturalized. So whatever the the thing is, it's being attacked, and the area around it has started to become very swampy, and that's where the ravenous rats. And the Velborn Ghoul would come in is that there's like obviously some sort of dark tainted magic. And as they approach it, they would get attacked by swarms of rats. And once they entered inside of it, there would be all these sort of uh, zombies or ghouls inside there that were previously there as protectors. Um, The other cards that I have are a dark favor, a captain's call, and a uh, serpent's gift. Captain's call allows you to bring in some extra creatures. Dark favor gives you a bonus. Um for your own life, like a, a damage and defense, and then the serpent's gift gives you death touch. So to me, this means that the captain of the guard is the main bad guy, and he's made some sort of pact with a dark force uh, in, in exchange for bringing this kingdom down, and he probably has some sort of enchanted armor that when you attack him, it does damage to you, which would be where the death touch comes in, uh, and that he's able to call guards who think they're doing the right thing to help protect you. 
I also my my rare was uh, Talran the Sky Summoner. So in my mind, he's the he's the actual main bad guy that's setting all this up. Perhaps there was some sort of treaty that was signed, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, and he's some forgotten god who's trying to bring back his power. So he's setting this whole thing into motion. So he would be the ultimate bad guy that's setting things up. And then I have an Essence Scatter, which counters a target spell. So in my mind, what this means is that the PCs at some point would probably be transported to another place, like they would be teleported away. It looks like you're reading tarot cards. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have all the magic cards spread out on the table, and Michael is going, like, moving one card to the next pile and going, now what this tells me <laughs> and, what, and what I take this as. That actually would be cool, too, to do, do this with tarot cards oh, sometimes. Yeah. Um, so lastly, the four of my cards are all red. I have an L elemental and a bunch of instant uh, damage cards. So when that... Uh, when, whether it be the captain or, or Talrand eventually would, would push the, the PCs away and make them go somewhere far away like a teleport spell or maybe to a dimension, they would be in a fiery realm near a volcano or within a fire elemental area, and they would have to fight this fire elemental that would be able to use the natural surroundings around him to do extra fire damage. So that's what I came up with. All right. Yay, me. Way to go. All right, here's what I got. <laughs> I've got two uh, locations for this. One of them, I have my land card in the pack was a swamp. So the swamp is the um, the landscape where the the bad guy that's behind everything that's going on, that's where he resides. He resides in this swamp. And then the other thing that I really liked was this Arbor Elf, this green card, this Arbor Elf. And on the picture on this Arbor Elf is like of an elf walking through a forest that's really lush. And I, and I want to do this in my game now. I want to put in a landscape or a setting with the, like a rainforest where the players would have like a three-dimensional battlefield. Like you could even like climb trees and vines and move through the forest canopy if you wanted to. It would be so tightly interwound with trees and vines and things like that that you wouldn't even have to walk on the ground like to get through this this big three-dimensional you know things would be coming down from above and you could hide from things up in the trees and things like that so the center where the main bad guy is is the swamp and then to get to the swamp you have to travel through this rainforest type thing so what's going on is the first card that i looked at was this mind rot and Here's what I got from the mind rot. On the picture, it shows a guy that looks like he's losing his mind. Yes. And then it says, target player discards two cards. And what I put together from that was that there's a village or a city where children have been disappearing. And the heroes or the players, they belong to, they're part of the same family, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunt, uncle, you know, whatever. This, You're all part of the same family. And two of the children in your family have now disappeared. And so you are trying to figure out what's going on. What is going on is that there's a sorcerer that has been kidnapping children and he's trying to gather all this children these like children like life force like essence to do something with it. He has this evil plan or something like that. And that sorcerer is in the swamp. And then the sorcerer's main protector is somebody that he has put a curse on a curse on and it used to be a good a good like white like a like a good knight and now it's an evil it's like an evil knight it's like a dark knight and i really like the picture of like this batman yes 
Exactly. No. Pray to me. <laughs> so I really like the picture on this card because it shows like this dark night all covered in black and his horse is all covered in black and he has this these red markings all over him and the horse that look like they're lit up and that looks like he's cur- it, it looks like he's kind of cursed to me like he could be under a curse so he's under the spell of the sorcerer and the players could have a choice they could either try to eventually fight this knight to get to the sorcerer to get the kids back or they could try to figure out a way to lift the curse and if they did lift the curse then the knight would help them gotcha. and if they were going to try and lift the curse they would have to i have this card the scroll thief they would have to go find a rogue who's like a trickster kind of like the riddler like he would have lots of puzzles and traps that they would have to move through but if they were successful and they either got to him and killed him for his scroll or if they got to him and were able to answer questions or be charismatic and convince him to give him this scroll, then the spell or the spell on the scroll would lift the curse of the knight. And then that would allow them to have the knight help them so that they didn't necessarily have to kill him. Okay. If the knight did, then I have this attended knight, if the knight did... It would turn into a woman. <laughs> I just I just saw that the uh, attended knight is a female. But, uh, yeah, if they did lift the curse using the scroll, the thief, the uh, rogue's scroll that he had stolen, this rogue had stolen this scroll at some point, and if they were able to use it, then it would become this white knight, this good, back to his normal self. Right. Kind of like a, where am I? You know, what's going on? And then... The last card that I have, I have some other cards, but I just didn't get to them, have enough time, or didn't feel a connection to the story right away. The last card that I have that I feel pertains to the story would be, in it's a Thrag Tusk, which looks like this huge, it's a green creature, and it looks like a huge tusked uh, like boar, like yeah. a boar or a bull. And I would picture like creatures like this in the forest that they would have to encounter when they were going going to the swamp but then also it would be really cool if like they the sorcerer kind of was able to control these creatures when they're in the final battle and he could call like some of the creatures some of these huge tusked boars and they you know the the um, players were trying to fight them and the sorcerer at the same time or maybe Maybe he doesn't control them, but they stir up all the creatures in the forest, and so things are kind of going crazy, and these animals are running around knocking trees down. There's trees falling. There's things falling from the canopy, and that would be like the final battle between between the players and the and the boss to try and get the, the children back okay. to save the day. That's right. Yay, heroes. Yeah. All so right. what, how do you think that went? I thought that was pretty cool. Time back into our session about being a GM, if, if you're – barrier is that you just don't have a good story then maybe you could do this and i mean within 10 minutes we certainly had somewhat cliched you know sorcerer in the the swamp and you know uh, a protected kingdom that loses its protection you could read a thousand stories but for a dm for a dnd session or rpg that's Perfect. Either one of them would be great. I yeah, feel it'd be like. a good place to start. So mm-hmm. uh, I really like yours having the cursed knight turn into the white knight. I, I really thought that because one of the things that I do in my games that I need to work on is usually killing shit is the number one way to solve problems. 
And I want to start coming up with alternates where you don't just have to kill everything to win. There, yeah. there's, a, there's an alternate win condition mm -hmm. that's curing them, which I actually was really, I really liked that. That's probably my favorite part of yours was that cursed knight turned back into a, an ally. So I definitely cool. like that. Well, unfortunately, we're running long on time, so we're not going to get to our sep second table topic. So we'll just hold that and we'll do it next time. I uh, did want to mention that we do have a forum now. If you go to RPG Crosstalk, there's a D&D Academy forum uh, set up that you can ask questions to me as a DM, whether it be just advice on how to be a DM, or it could just be if you're listening to the Made Men podcast, like, why did you do this? Or when you did this, that's not how the rules work. Why did you make that decision? And I'll answer it as best I can. And then I have a second one set up for the players. So if you want to ask Evan something about Zane, like why he's playing him the way he is or what choices he's made, or just anything about his character, you can ask a specific question of a, of a player, and then I'll make them log on and answer the questions for you. And hopefully we'll start to get more and more traffic. Right now it's been up for two days and no one's said anything, so it's a little bit sad. But it's still new. Um, and just to remind you about our email contest that we still have going on. How many emails we have, are we up we to We have now? six people now, so we need 14 more. Yeah. And then you'll get some free swag yep. after we get 20. Yep, 20? 20. Yeah. But we... Basically, our average is about one a week since we started the contest. Oh, boy. Where before, <laughs> we uh, we went months without any. So it's definitely picked up. And I do want to thank everybody who's participated. Joe is the one who sent the question in today. He's also known as Voth on Roll20. So if you go to the Roll20 site, uh, look for Voth. He's done some DMing on there. And he's actually responded to me a couple times on some of the... We've been going back and forth talking about stuff on there as well. Um, so that's fortunately I got a roll. So that's it for the Dungeon Talk episode 17. All right, this has been Evan. And Michael. And we'll see you next time. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.